Second Peter, chapter 1, 2 through 10. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Jesus, our, of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power, he has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and virtue, but which has been given to us great, exceedingly great and precious promises that through these, <clears throat> excuse me, you may be partakers of divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, given all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge, to your knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Good to be with you this morning. Thank you so much for making a point to be with us. Uh, if you are visiting with us, and I do notice that we have a number of visitors this morning, we are glad that you're here. Hope that you're made to feel welcome, and uh, hope that you'll stay around for a few minutes after our services. We can get a chance to get to know you. Members, let me give you an admonition just for a moment. Your friends and your family members can wait. They will wait for you. Be sure and make our visitors feel welcome. Be sure and go and meet them, look around and, uh, and say hello, and uh, show yourselves to be the friendly congregation that I know that you are. There are no static forms in the Christian life. That is, there is no stasis where you can hold on to and expect that you're just going to maintain a proper, even keel balance and that you're just going to stay, neither growing nor shrinking. The very first truth that I want you to understand about a growing Christian life is that there are no static forms within the Christian life. If you are not growing, then you are not maturing. If you are not reading God's word, then you are not growing. If you are not spending time with the God of heaven, then you are shrinking in your faith. There are no static forms within the Christian life. We used to sing a song in vacation Bible school, but you can't get to heaven in a motor car and you can't get to heaven. One of the ones I always remember is you can't get to heaven on roller skates. You can't get to heaven on roller skates because you just might skate past those pearly gates but sometimes we feel like we can just get in a good mode and we can get in a good place and we can just coast in our Christian life and that I can maintain this even balance all the way through and just stay at a proper level of growth. One of the first things I want you to understand is that there are no static forms within the Christian life. It's about the third time I've said it. If you are not growing, then you are wasting away. We expect people we expect things to grow. I've often told some of you about my children that I love the age that my children are at. And they say, well, when they get older, and I said, oh, no, 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 my kids are not getting older. They're going to stay just right where they are. And they're going to stay uh, uh, 10 and 12, or sorry, 12 and 10 and then 8 all their lives. And you all laugh at me for some reason. Because you know that as much as you desired your kids to stay at those ages, they didn't. They grew, didn't they? And we expect our kids to grow. In fact, consider just for a moment what happens whenever we don't grow. 
If you have a child, a newborn baby that you're holding in your arms, you know what they're going to do for the first several weeks? They're going to have you come back to the doctor and they're going to, one of the first things they're going to do is take that baby and put that baby on a scale. Why? Because they want to know that that baby's gained weight. Why? Because they want to know that that baby is growing like that baby ought to grow. What happens if you put that baby on a scale and that baby has lost weight? They know that there's something wrong with that baby's growth. We expect babies to grow. I think about one man as he was talking to a group of coaches, and he said one thing the coaches cannot tolerate is an athlete that gets so arrogant that they will not grow beyond their own abilities. And you think about that truth and being as applicable in a number of different cases. I don't know why, but Johnny Manziel seems to come immediately to my mind. A man with so much potential, a man with so much capacity for playing the game of football in such a way that people have never seen. And he got to a point where he thought, I'm at the top of my game and I will never have to grow beyond this. And where is he today? You find people, athletes, that we expect to grow, and there are no occasions where those people can stay in a a position of stasis. You are either growing or you are shrinking. As we begin this morning, let me give you just a couple of ideas and scriptures to think about with regard uh, regard to the fact that God expects us in our Christian life to grow. One of the places that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48, he says, therefore you shall be perfect just like your heavenly Father is perfect. In the context, he's talking about growing beyond just saying, I love my friends and my neighbors, I love my family, but I hate my enemies. Jesus says, God is the God who causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He said, he's the one who's able to show kindness, even to the one who's disrespectful to him. And he says, I want you to grow, God wants you to grow like that, so you'll be perfect like he is. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. Let us press on beyond the elementary principles, the first principles that we learned. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1, immediately up in the context in chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, he's talking to people that he says, I would love to teach you some more things about Melchizedek. I'd love to teach you some more about the high priesthood that Jesus is a part of. He said, I've got a whole lot of things to say, and some of them are hard to understand, he said, but I can't say those things because you haven't grown like you ought to. He says, in fact, by this time, you ought to have grown to become teachers. He says, but instead, you've regressed. You've shrunk back to where you need somebody again to teach you the first principles of the oracles of God. You haven't grown like you ought to, Hebrews. What God expects is that we push beyond those things of having to be taught again and again and again about those elementary principles and push on towards maturity. Another passage, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12 Philippians chapter 3 is the I'm pressing on the upward way section of that song. Paul says it's not that I've already attained or I've already apprehended, but I press on to obtain that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Paul says even as an apostle, I haven't arrived yet. Even as apostle, well, Paul, can't you just coast by on your apostle credentials? He says, no, I'm pushing on. I still want to grow the way the Lord wants me to. Growth is expected, but what's the goal? What does maturity look like? Maturity is seen in how we observe or how we reflect the character and the nature of Jesus Christ. God wants us to grow to be like Jesus. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. We know Romans 8 verse 28, all things work together for good to those who are the called and those who are the ones who are called according to his purpose. 
In chapter 8, verse 29, he says, For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Let me tell you what that means. That means that God knew that in the church, he was going to provide a place where you and I could grow to reflect the character of our Lord, the one who purchased us with his own blood. And we could grow to the point where we could show the world his likeness and his character. Paul says that's why you, that's why you are the people that you are. That's why you are where you are. If we're not growing, we're not accomplishing God's purpose of Christ's likeness in our lives. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, about how the word is able to help us to grow. In fact, he says, we're preaching the truth in love that we may grow up into all things into the head, which is him, the one who joins us all together. Jesus, Christ's likeness is the goal. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Goal for your life and for my life is that we're not static. We don't try and hold on to the status quo. We don't just try and coast by and get on roller skates and just think that I can live the Christian life that way because if we do, we are deceiving ourselves. We're not being people who are growing the way that God wants us to. And let me encourage you to use this lesson as perhaps a diagnostic for your life to say, if I'm not exhibiting these characteristics and these things, then I need to do some really serious self-reflection to think about growth the way that God wants me to. And so we turn our attention to the text which Paul read for us just a few moments ago. By the way, I hope you appreciate as much as I do seeing men who have been Christians for maybe less than five years who are standing up and exhibiting symptoms of growth, if you like, characteristics of growth, evidence of growth, bearing fruit. You have a Jackson McTopey who's been a Christian a little less than three years perhaps, standing up and doing an awesome job, bringing out all the big guns, as I called it this morning, uh, uh, with uh, songs that he sang. Did an awesome job in leading and singing. Paul, who has been less a uh, Christian less than, I think you obeyed the gospel back in 2020, as I recall, right in the middle of the pandemic. And Paul standing up and reading our scripture. A Larry Whitby who's been a Christian less than a year standing up and serving on the Lord's table for the last few weeks. Doesn't that thrill your hearts to see men and to see women that are growing the way that God wants us to? Peter in 2 Peter is kind of his farewell address. In fact, it's not going to be too long after he writes this that he's going to be executed in Rome. Uh, again, church tradition tells us that he was crucified upside down by Nero Caesar. And as Peter is writing these things, he's writing some things that he wants to help Christians to remember. That's one of the key words for the book. Second Peter talks about remembrance and remembering the things that God wants us to, to hold on to. And it's not just about remembrance, but Peter is also going to take the word knowledge. And he's going to say, this is what I want to remind you of. But growth is right in there, even though it may not be mentioned directly so many times, you're going to find that what Peter says is, here comes these false teachers and Christians, if you've grown the way that you ought to, those false doctrines I have to talk about in chapter 2 and chapter 3 are not going to be even anything that are going to affect you. In fact, chapter 1, verse 10, he says, if you do these things, you will never stumble. Here comes these people that are coming into the church that are bringing in things that Christ hasn't purchased and things that Christ hasn't taught and things that the God doesn't want us to hold on to. And he says, if you are growing the way that you ought to, then you're never going to have to find yourself carried about by winds of doctrine, changing things or being changed by what they're preaching and teaching. 
And as Peter writes these things, he wants us to know, Christians, I want you always to be growing people. Let's talk about this briefly this morning. Characteristics and aspects of growth from 1 Peter chapter 1, or 2 Peter chapter 1, rather. Beginning by this, by saying spiritual growth is something, Christians, that you can obtain. It is attainable. It is attainable. Look at verses 2 through 4, and let's make some comments about that. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Savior, uh, sorry, and of Jesus Christ our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Let's stop right there just for a moment. The word, the fact that we are able to grow is based solely upon the redemptive work of Jesus Christ in your life. That's it. His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life. Can I state something that you may say sounds overly simplistic and probably a little foolish? Things that are not alive don't grow. Dead things don't grow. But the fact that we have been made alive through the power of Jesus Christ gives us the opportunity and the ability and the expectation that we are going to grow. Cindy Lane comes up here, and she rearranges the flowers ever so often. I don't know if you ever noticed. But I also don't know if you've noticed, these flowers have never wilted or never faded. Does that seem odd to any of you? These, are they lilies? They look, they look like lilies, okay. These lilies back here have sat here for about the last, I don't know, I've, I've been minister here for about four years, and they've never faded. Isn't that astounding that something could just hold on to its life just like that and just never grow and never fade? And you say, well, Andy, those plants are not alive. They're synthetic. <gasps> Shocker, right? And you're looking at these things and you're saying, well, well, of course they don't grow. Of course they don't die. They're not alive. Friends, you, Christ made alive when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Christ Jesus, when you were not drowning in sin, you were dead in sin. What he did was he brought you to life. In the power of his resurrection, you say, well, when did I die? I died when I made the choice to become a Christian. I was buried when I was buried in the waters of baptism. And I was raised to walk in newness of, not death, not stasis, newness of life. This is all Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. That when we enact the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus in the waters of baptism, obeying that from the heart, that form of doctrine to which we were delivered, again, Romans chapter 6, we come up out of the water, we are a new creation, and we are alive in Christ Jesus. That is solely his work. That's nothing that you did to become alive. That's nothing that you did in order to, 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 to revitalize yourself or give yourself new life. Jesus did that in his redemptive work of the cross. Notice that it's in complete in scope. And it's his divine power, verse 3, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, how much do you need? outside of the word of God, outside of your Bible, how much do you need in order to help you to grow the way that God wants you to? It's complete in scope. And notice based upon that, it's complete based upon the promises of God that will make a difference in your life and in your growth. There are some with a green thumb. There are some who are known as master gardeners. 
I have never turned to a master gardener before, but I imagine that if I did, I would learn some things about why my plants, I can't keep them alive. I've got some that look like this that are perfect, you know, and I'm, I'm perfectly happy with those. But if I try my hand with something that's living to try and keep my plant alive, that plant is, I'm sorry, when I buy it from the store, it's going to die. It just is. And it's going to die because I don't know enough to be able to try and keep that plant alive, to make sure that it's got enough water, enough light, or enough uh, soil nutrients, or those things. I don't know any of those things. But I'm sure I can go down to the library and get a book of my master gardener to say, this is how you keep that plant alive. This is how you keep that plant healthy. This is how you keep that plant growing. And if I was to pick up a book like that and to start to read about what it takes to become a master gardener, I'll bet you I could keep those plants alive. The problem is I don't really care to do it. What God says is here's the redemptive work of Jesus. You have been made alive. And everything that you need for staying alive and staying growing the way that God wants you to is given to you in the word. And it's full of all these promises that God says, if you do these things, you'll never stumble. If you do these things, you'll keep growing the way that I want you to. If you do these things, you can have maturity. You can be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect. Matthew 5 verse 48 like we read just a few moments ago. Notice this also. It provides us escape from God, from the corruption of the world. It provides us an escape from the corruption of the world. We don't have to poison ourselves with the things that are going to keep us from growing the way that God wants us to. His divine knowledge has given us exceedingly great and precious promises, verse 4, that through these things you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. What God made in us in Jesus is absolutely attainable. Notice number two, spiritual growth is expected of you. Therefore, verse five, therefore, you look to see what it's there for. There's something he just said, the fact that you can obtain spiritual growth. He says, this is the way that you ought to grow. Therefore, the command in this statement is the word add. That's in the New King James. And I put an exclamation after it because it's an imperative. This is not optional. Christians, if you want to grow the way God wants you to, you have got to add. That's the imperative here in the statement. Therefore, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Add to your faith. How does a new Christian start out? I have enough faith to want to obey the gospel. I have enough faith to want to follow Jesus. And you take this faith, this one that says, I believe, I want to follow Jesus, and I'm going to obey the Lord and everything that he tells me to do. That's a great attitude to approach Scripture, by the way. I'm going to open up the Bible. I'm going to say, no matter what your word tells me to do, that's what I want to do. No matter what your word tells me that I need to do, that's what I'm going to do. If more of us had that attitude, what a different place this world would be. Instead, we open up, and for like forgetful heroes, James chapter 1, we open up the word of God, and we take our faith, and we don't do anything with it. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, James 1, verse 22. Add to your faith what? Virtue. A lion-hearted courage about your faith. That is, I am courageously convicted about what's right and about what's wrong. I had a friend of mine that told me that after he obeyed the gospel, he went back to school that next day, and he took his faith, and even though he was like a... 
what I imagine a, uh, a, a man with a, with a sword and just wielding that sword everywhere, not realizing the damage that he was doing, went and said, well, if you're not a Christian, you're going to hell. If you're not a Christian, you're going to hell. If you're not a Christian, you're going to hell. And he's telling these people in his, in his school and just shouting it out like that. You know what he had? He had this virtue, this lion-hearted courage. And one person wisely came to him and said, that may be the case. And it might be if I'm not a Christian, I'm, not going, I'm going to go to hell, but your attitude has got to change. That's why we preach the truth, but we do so in love, Ephesians 4 and verse 15. Add to your faith virtue and take that virtue and add this, knowledge. Knowledge. You know what helped that young man to be able to speak in a way that was not so off-putting? was the fact that he went back to the word of God and said, aha, I see there's a character and a nature to the person who's going to be a minister of God, somebody that's gentle and peaceable and, and reasonable and all of these things, and I'm going to try and glean those characteristics and try and be a person that's, that's careful with my speech and more concerned about that person rather than just going around like that man with a sword just wielding everywhere and, and cutting people like crazy. Add to your faith virtue and virtue knowledge and the knowledge self-control. Self-control, a word that means I'm going to say no more to my fleshly desires and yes more to what God wants me to do and what he wants me to be. Self-control, how I can exhibit a self-restraint so that the Lord can work more in me as opposed to letting my fleshly desires work whatever it is that I feel like I want or whatever I feel like I need. Add to your faith virtue and virtue, knowledge, and knowledge, self-control, and self-control, the word is perseverance, perseverance, a keep at itness, a keep goingness, that as I'm moving along in my Christian walk, and as I'm moving along, I know that there's going to be roadblocks, I know that there's going to be times when it's hard to grow, and I know it's going to be t hard to stick with it and to try and keep on a schedule and try and keep that self-control under control and to do those things that I know are pleasing to the Lord. And I know that sometimes when I'm living my Christian life, I'm going to have friends and family members that stand in my way and say, I don't understand. I'm not going to let those things discourage me. I'm going to keep at it because I'm committed to my Lord. I'm committed to grow. And I'm actually going to use or let, allow God to use those trials in my life to form and shape Christ-like character. My family was singing this morning the scripture song that we learned from 1 Peter chapter 2. For this, to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. And as you learn about Jesus and about what he suffered and that example, that trail that he blazed through suffering, you recognize that if I'm following him, it's going to require some keep at itness, some perseverance. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness. I am in tune with God and I'm in tune with his will. I want to consider more about what God wants me to do and what he wants me to be. I want godliness to define my life full of faith and love and hope and joy and all of those fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 verse 22. To godliness, brotherly kindness, add a sincere godly love for my Christian brothers and sisters. Let me drop this off just for a moment. Friends, we can't do that 
if we're not present and involved in the lives of our Christian brothers and sisters. I want to develop a heartfelt brotherly kindness, a, an affection that goes beyond what's common. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge self-control and self-control. By the way, you ever built a lasagna? <laughs> it's a non sequitur. Uh, you ever built a lasagna and you take those noodles and you layer those noodles on the bottom then you perhaps take the, uh, depending on your recipe, you take the, the pasta sauce and you pour, put the pasta sauce on the noodles. And you take a nice uh, layer of mozzarella cheese and you put the mozzarella cheese on there. And then you put the, the Italian sausage, because it's not lasagna if you don't have Italian sausage. You can fight me in the foyer, that's fine. And you f- <laughs> put the Italian sausage on there and then you put another layer of this and the layer of that. That's the idea of layering these things, adding these things so that they all work together in a nice gooey Christian life. Mixing metaphors. As you find your life being adding these things, you're going to find a person who is complete and who is perfect. And as you add to your faith, virtue and a virtue, knowledge and knowledge, self-control and self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, on the top, love. It is the highest Christian virtue, the self-sacrificial idea of me giving of myself so that others can have what's best in their interest. Notice this is not telling somebody what they want to hear. This is telling something to somebody in a spirit that says, I love you and I want the best for you. When you have somebody in your life that you say, listen, brother, I love you, but you're, you're not being godly in this practice. Uh, listen, sister, I love you, but, but what you just said is not in the character of a Christian. Well, who are you to tell me that? If I understand something about what that person just done, I understand something about the love that it took to, for them to share that with me and to help me to grow the way that, I want, that God wants me to. Growth is expected. And God says as you layer these things on, those things ought to change your life. question I have for you by way of application is where are you? Where are you? Again, it's not a one and done thing. Please don't misunderstand. But each one of these things is a necessary ingredient so that I can attain the growth that God wants me to have. That's the meaning of the verse, uh, verse 5. Therefore, God wants me to plug these things into my life. And the question is, is that maybe I've got that faith, but I just don't have that lion-hearted courage. Maybe I'm just a person that's, that's, that's timid in my faith. I believe in God, but I just don't want to share that with anybody. I don't want to tell anybody. Maybe it's a person that's got that faith and that virtue and that knowledge but they don't have any self-control. When the temptations come, I immediately cave in. And please understand, these are not reasons to stop trying. These are assessments that we make to say, what's wrong with the soil? What's wrong with the plant? What areas and what capacities can I look and say, how can I help this to be healthier? How can I help my growth to continue? What things can I add? And how can I do that so that God is pleased And so that I can fulfill my expectation to grow. Number three, spiritual growth is evident. Spiritual growth is evident. After he finishes those uh, those eight characteristics, he says, for, here's an explanation, verse eight. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren... Therefore, you look to see what it's there for. I want to make sure that I'm growing the way that God wants me to. Therefore, be even more diligent. By the way, that's a bookend. 
How does it begin with verse 5? Also for this very reason, giving all, there's a word, diligence, verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more, same word, diligent, to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. Friends, spiritual growth is evident based upon what he's just told us. It's attainable. You can get it. It's expected. God wants us to. And it's evident. People can see it when it's happening. He says, if these things are yours and abound, if these things are yours and abound, they're things that as you're looking at yourself and you say you're not going to allow them to stagnate, but they're going to grow. And he says, you're going to neither be barren. The word is useless, lazy, unemployed. You know any people that you consider barren in your life? That you've tried to help and try to get them up off the couch and trying to get them a job interview or tried to help them through something and they just won't? They're lazy, they're useless, they're unemployed, they're people like that. God says the possibility is that you and I as Christians can be barren. He says, but if these things are yours, what things? The verses 5 through 7 things. If these things are yours and abound, you're not going to be barren and you're not going to be unfruitful. The word there is not yielding anything good. Remember, Jesus came upon a fig tree one time and he was hungry. He was looking for some figs and he looked at that fig tree and it was ripe fig harvest season and there was nothing on that tree. There's an expectation, Christians, that if you have been Christians for any length of time, there ought to be things that are being born in your life. There's ought to be good fruit that somebody can see and look at and say, I see that they're bearing exactly what they ought to be bearing. And if I'm not bearing those things, the question is, am I really growing the way God wants me to? And if I see friends and Christian family that are not growing the way that I ought to, maybe that's an opportunity for me to try and help them along. Bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. Help one another, strengthen one another, so that we're not useless or lazy or unemployed and not yielding anything good. But he says, if you lack these things, he's going to double down on what he just said. If you lack these things, you're spiritually blind. Spiritually blind. The same word he uses back whenever he heals that blind man there in John chapter 9. And at the very end, after the blind man comes, after he's been kicked out of the synagogue by the Jews... And he comes and he finds Jesus, and Jesus talks to him, and then uh, the Pharisees come up and they're listening to his conversation, and Jesus says, I've come into the world to to help those who are blind. And, And the Pharisees say, are we blind also? And Jesus said, if you said that you had no sin, you're blind. But since... You say that we have no sin, he said, your sin remains. We have no uh, sin, he said, you're still blind. May I encourage you to think about this? If we have trouble focusing for a time, perhaps on a lesson, perhaps on the Lord's Supper, perhaps on the songs that we sing, there may be an aspect where we're not growing the way that we ought to, where the things of this world might more, hold more sway on us than the things of God. We may be more growing in the ways of the world than we ought to be in the way that God wants us to be. You're unwise, Peter says. You can't see afar off. You're trying to walk around this life with an impaired vision. My mother talked about uh, cataract surgery not too long ago. She had both, uh, both eyes done with cataracts. And the way that I understand the cataracts work is that your vision grows dimmer on the outside, on the outside, on the outside, until it becomes that you're like looking through a, a small hole. And she said it was amazing after they removed those cataracts that she, <laughs> it's kind of like rediscovering the world. 
And I wonder sometimes if we as Christians, because we haven't grown, we grow dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and think that the word that the preacher is speaking or the word that I hear in my Bible class applies to everybody but me and I can just go back out and be comfortable in my stasis that I've gotten and I can just go on coasting and be the person God wants me to be. That's not it at all. Friends, there is no stasis. There is no static form in the Christian life. All of us are growing and all, all of us are shrinking. And friends, if you're committed to growth, understand this, and I just mentioned this bookend, be diligent. Be diligent. Because what Peter is emphasizing here in this chapter is, understandably, these things. These things. Notice the verses 5 through 7 things, what's evident or what's expected about the Christian life. Notice how many times he mentions this, beginning of verse 8, for these things, what things, verses 5 through 7 things. For he who lacks, verse 9, these things is short-sighted even to blindness. Verse 10, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Verse 12, for this reason, Peter says in his farewell address, I will not be negligent to remind you always of what? These things. Yes, I think it's right, verse 13, as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you. Verse 15, moreover, I also want to carefully ensure that you have a reminder of these things after my decease. Peter says, if I can preach one more sermon, what I'm going to preach about is faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, brotherly kindness, or uh, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Because Christians, if you're not growing the way that you ought to, you're shrinking. He says, I want you to be diligent about these things and remembering these things. Not going to go through this, but you can go back through your text and note how many times Peter says, remember these things, remember these things, remember these things, remember these things, and know the fact that if you're doing these things, you're never going to be made to stumble. I want a Christian life where I don't have to worry about stumbling anymore, don't you? Again, respectfully and realizing that let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. But if I'm growing the way Christ wants me to, I don't have to worry about falling. I can continue in my growth and continue in my uh, Christian walk and expect that I'm going to live the way that God wants me to. Are you growing this morning? If you're not, why not? Do a self-assessment. Examine yourselves. See whether you be in the faith 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Look at your life in a good, hard, honest light. Pray to the Lord, the prayer of Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there's any false way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's a great place to start, Christians, for a self-examination. That's a great place to start to say, I want to start nourishing my soul and nourishing my heart because I want to grow the way God wants me to. Maybe this morning there's somebody here who has never obeyed the gospel. Maybe there's somebody here who's ready to take that step and to put Christ on in baptism. That's a great place to begin because that's where your life begins. If you never emerge from the watery grave of baptism, you're still dead in your trespasses and sins. If you never emerge from that watery grave, you are still in an old life of sin and death. You're not in that new life of righteousness. That's what the Bible says. Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned, Mark 16, 16. Do you need to take that step this morning? Please do so as we stand and sing our invitation song.